Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to Arkansas. Ar- Arkansas? I believe it's our first time to go to Arkansas, Arkansas. Yeah, I was trying to think of what was that one with, uh, oh, what's his face? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? that, one. that one. With, oh, what's his face? No, Robert Mitchum, and he was the preacher. Yeah, I don't think it was Arkansas. I, don't I think, think that, that might have been Tennessee. Yeah, I thought maybe we had done something in Arkansas, but maybe not. Probably we not. might have we might have dipped a toe in Arkansas. You would just maybe all you want to do. Really, I don't know. Yeah. No offense, I've never been there. I have driven through. Ah, well. on many occasions. We are going to say we are missing our third son today. Yes, you're just going to have to settle, people. Got to settle for us, but we're not going to let uh, uh, put that in advertising because all of her fans are going to listen in. So, Well, no, now they're not. They're like, well, excuse us? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She waited till the end. Mm, Everybody we wait. Teeny's coming. We, we should have like, waited until, like, actually, this is a really good movie. <laughs> it's actually, it, actually, this is a really good movie, 1957's. A face in the crowd. So, again, this is your first warning. It's available for rent. I really suggest you go watch it. Check it out. It's It's two hours. It's two hours. It's very entertaining and very relatable. Very relatable. Relatable to how things got to where they are. And how things have always been. But, you know, we're going to end up spoiling it. So, this is the first warning. We'll do it again. A Face in the Crowd. It was released in, on May 28, 1957. Directed and produced by Ilya Kazan. Um, he was a famous director. He did Pinky, A Streetcar Named Desire, On the Waterfront, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, Viva Sabata, Splendor in the Grass, Gentleman's Agreement, East of Eden... In 1947, he co-founded the Actor Studio and introduced, quote, method acting under the direction of Lee Straussberg. Nerd alert. What is method acting? You always hear about it. Oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, method actor. Method acting is a training and rehearsal, is training and rehearsal techniques to get a sincere and emotionally expressive performance. It's built on Konstantin Stanislavski's teachings. He was a Russian dude. And the three most famous teachers are, are three. They, they each had a certain aspect that, they, that their techniques and teaching uh, emphasized. So Lee Straussberg was psychological. Stella Adler was sociological. And Sanford Miser was behavioral. And they and Ilya Kazan, he strove for cinematic realism, and he often cast unknown actors. Screenplay by Bud Schulberg, based on his short story, Your Arkansas Traveler. Bud Schulberg was a screenwriter, TV producer, novelist, and sports writer. He's most famous for his novel, What Makes Sammy Run, and The Harder They Fall. He wrote the screenplay and won an Oscar for On the Waterfront. He's uncredited with story 
are, are working on 1937's A Star is Born. Nerd alert, in World War II, he served in the Navy in the OSS, and he worked with John Ford's do, uh, documentary unit. He was one of the first Americans to servicemen to liberate Nazi concentration camps. He was raised in a Jewish family, so that had to have been harrowing nonetheless add on to it these are my people i wonder if he was with my daddy maybe i mean there were unfortunately more than one camp oh yeah so um he also (laughs) gathered evidence against war criminals for the nuremberg trial and he arrested nazi documentary filmmaker lenny lenny riefenstahl who says she had no idea what was going on? Mm-hmm. Of course she did. Which, mm-hmm. you know, there is a possibility that maybe she didn't. But if I'm betting my money or my life, I'm like, she knew. I don't know How if could she, you not know? I don't know if it could be a thing where she was like, well, I mean, I knew, but I didn't know about all this. Right. I knew they but, were taking them to, at to which work point, camps. At which to point, work. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like people with like slavery. Like, yeah, you know, slave, they, they own the person. Oh, but I didn't know about all of these atrocities. It's like, well, you were okay with this though? Well, my dad did say that the smell before you got to one of the camps. Yeah, well, yeah. Went for um, kilometers. So anybody within that range had to know what was going on. Or just ash. Yeah. Like that scene in Schindler's List. It's not snowing. No. So gray, gray snow. You know, but we're, human beings are very capable of talking themselves into anything. So they could be like, oh, it, that's just what needs to happen. Yeah. It's, oh, that's, they're, yeah, they're, it's the dead soldiers from the front that have come back and they're burning them. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Um, let me see. Okay. The music by Tom Glazer. He also did the music for Because, or also wrote, he was a folk music kind of guy. Did uh, Because All Men Are Brothers, Talking Inflation Blues, A Dollar Ain't a Dollar Anymore, and probably most famously, On Top of Spaghetti. All covered with cheese. Yeah. I found my true love. Nerd alert. You know how I got with the bushes? It's always these weird things. Of, of like oh, what's no. his father died when he was four in the 1918 flu pandemic i'm sorry i was like man wow that's random the director of photography there were two gain reshner he also shot star trek 2 the wrath of khan breathing lessons murder me murder you and then i just love that's that a title. good one Murder me, murder you. Uh, and then also Harry Strandling Sr. He has 130 films to his credit. His uh-huh. uncle was also a director of photography, Walter Stradling. Yes, yeah, Stradling in the silent film era. 
And Walter also died in the 1918 flu pandemic. Wow. I was like, wow, man. Um, the movies he did, Suspicion, The Picture of Dorian Gray, Easter Parade, A Streetcar Named Desire, Johnny Guitar, My Fair Lady, Funny Girl. And we have... Oh, he was nominated. He had 14 nominations and two wins. And then it was edited by Gene Milford. He won Best Editing for Lost Horizon and On the Waterfront. And he was nominated for One Night of Love. He also cut Splendor in the Grass and Wait Until Dark. Oh, I loved Wait Until Dark. We'll have to do that one. Yeah. Uh, Starring Andy Griffith. As Larry Lonesome Rose. Nerd alert, Andy Griffith is class of 49 UNC Chapel Hill. Oh, that was an intake. Oh, yeah. Drink. You have to drink whenever somebody does a sharpen, a gasp. <gasps> like that. Mm-hmm. He was 30 years old. This is his film debut. Prior to this, he had been on Broadway. He was known um, for Broadway and for music. He studied music at Chapel Hill. He was known for um, this monologues, delivering funny, folksy monologues and stuff. Um, He was in No Time for Sergeants, Hearts of the West, and Spy Hard. But he's best known as being in the Andy Griffith show. Are we doing the whole one, huh? And when I listen back, that won't sound anything like it, will it? I can't whistle, so there we go. You got you. Also, he was Matlock for years. Oh yes, I hadn't gotten to that yet. I'm sorry. We got dude, dude. Um, the Andy Griffith Show from 1960 to 1968, and he was Matlock from 1986 to 1995. Yes, he was. We have Patricia Neal as Marcia Jeffries. She was also in at Bre- Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Day the Earth Stood Still, HUD. HUD. Nerd Alert. She won a Tony Award at the very first Tony Award ceremony in 1947. And she was the last surviving winner of that first ceremony. She married British writer Ronald Dahl in 1953. Yes, the author of James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic Mr. Fox, among others. They had five kids. In 1960, her son's baby carriage was struck by a New York City cab. And he Holy suffered brain shit. damage. Oh, oh, oh no, Ma, buckle in. This Patricia Neal story gets wild. In 1962, her daughter died of measles. <gasps> no, drink. <gasps> oh, keep your glasses in your hands, people. In 1965, while pregnant, she had three aneurysms and was in a coma for three weeks. Holy shit. Ronald Dahl and assistants developed a new treatment and therapies that were described as grueling. She relearned to walk, talk, and gave birth to a healthy daughter in 1965. Damn. In 1960- but wait, 
Yeah. In 1968, she got an Oscar nomination for the subject was roses. What a, like, wow. She did all that. There's more. Are you talking about before this in the 50s with Gary Cooper? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's in my later. Okay. I just ran across this and then and I just thought like, oh my gosh. Wow. The the peach to me was that she goes through all that and in 1968 she gets an Oscar nomination cuz she's like just so far that back. That's just yeah. a lot. Wow. We have Anthony Francoso. Francioso. Francioso, he was Joey De Palma. He was known for uh Broadway play a hateful rain and he was also in the long hot summer and across from 110th street and this film is his film debut we have he was in a lot of tv in the 60s mm-hmm. too we have walter Matthau. we did mel mel miller remember in the great movie a new leaf he's also bad news bears the odd couple the fortune cookie grumpy old men goodbye charlie whole bunch of movies he's walter Matthau. yep and lee remick in her film debut she sure was as betty lou fleckham she was also in the long hot summer day of wine and roses anatomy of murder and the omen and though there are the particulars there we go well when philosophical country western singer Larry Lonesome Rhodes is discovered in the local lockup by television agent Marcia Jeffries, she gets him a guest appearance on a variety show. And that is where things start to happen. But we are in the town square. There's somebody whistling a tune through the credits. And um, the town square was, I mean, there were a whole lot of people just sitting in the town square. Did you know what year this was? Because this was one of, I was like, okay, I know the movie came out in 1957. If I'm watching it in 1957, is this a period piece to me? Because this is set in the 30s? Is this set in 1957? Well, it was set in 1957. But it could have been the 30s. But that's Arkansas, you know? Damn. Because it wasn't yeah. until that I was like, oh, it had to be in the 50s because when they get into television and stuff. But at the beginning of this movie, you're thinking, I was thinking like, wait, is this the 30s? What's going on here? Yeah. All there was to do was sit in the town square. It's Arkansas, so it's hotter now. Oh, the beginning of this movie, everyone is just sweating profusely. And their wife beaters, I know that's not... What do we call them now? I think they're called A-frame shirts. Wife beaters. And um, so uh, Miss Jeffries pulls up in a cab and she goes to the jail because she is a roving reporter. And there's a program that she's on kgrk arkansas on the radio and she just goes to the jail to find some people who are funny or some well faces uh, in the crowd yeah a face in the crowd and it's a lot like i mean they still do it npr you know they go out with their microphones 
it looks really smelly. I mean, it looks like that place had to stink. It had to. And they say, hey, you're, you want to talk to somebody, you need to talk to the drunk over there with the guitar. And um, so she goes, and his name is Rhodes. What's his first name? Larry. Larry Rhodes. And he's he was arrested for drunken disorderly. And so he's, but he's, he's um, streetwise because he goes, why am I just going to sing a song for you? What am I going to get out of it? So the sheriff says, if you sing a song for her, I'll let you out tomorrow. So he makes up a song on the spot about singing a song now to get out tomorrow. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, and uh, here's a quotable. He said that real music comes from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. So she has renamed him Lonesome Rhodes instead of Larry Rhodes. And I have another quotable. A guitar beats a woman every time. And he's singing the blues. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to be a free man in the morning. And she's smiling because she knows she's got something special here. And she's recording this on her reel to reel. We have met a person of color in the lockup. Yes. Louie. He's the only one that's behind bars. The rest of the guys are just in a big room. But Louie, the black guy, is literally behind bars. Yeah. True. And he gets called racist names by the sheriff at the beginning. True. Uh, Because because the sheriff says, don't talk to him. You know. Okay. Well, uh, Marsha, 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 takes the reels back to her uncle who owns the radio station and he goes, we got to find that dude. Well, he was left out, let out in the morning. So they said he's not going to go west because he just came from west and he was arrested there. So if you're going to find him going east. And they do indeed find him. And they offer him a job. And he doesn't want a job. He just wants to take a day at a time. Yeah, he doesn't want to work. <laughs> He said, hey, guy, you want a job? He's like, no, thank you. (laughs) But he does, I guess, he was on his way to Florida, but I guess he comes into the studio? Um... He, yeah, they, they convince him. They pretty much convince him to do it because he has a thing for Marsha. He does have a... Well, not exclusively and Marcia. there was he has, Well, yeah, any woman. Do, does she have a pulse? Right. Um, that's it's his not type. what I thought you were going to say, but thank you for saying pulse. <laughs> um, and... They do. I forget what it is, but there is something else that convinces him to get in the car. So he's doing he's singing a song and she shows him he's got three minutes left and he stops singing and he starts telling a folksy tale. Yeah. Well, uh, fan letters start arriving. I have we saw two more people of color. Yeah. Oh, me, one more person of color. Mm-hmm. And. Um, people are saying that they love his voice and they love his guitar and they love his ideas. Well, 
advertisers start calling at this point because yeah. they see the money. numbers, the ratings. Um, and so then he's in a honky tonk with Marsha, and they are both drinking, and he can be charming. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it looks like he's had a shower. Because in the jail, it looked like he smelled really bad. Everyone looked like they just smelled really bad. So he's telling, she's asking questions about his childhood. And his father was a con artist. And his mother, he doesn't say much about his mother. And she goes, well, what about aunts and uncles? And he says, that old lady was mighty generous, taking in relatives. Meaning that in the morning he'd meet a new fella in the in oh. their place where they were living, and it would be Uncle So and So, Uncle Mike. Oh, this one's Uncle John. Oh, this one's Uncle Murray. Meanwhile, oh, where do you think that food's coming from on the table? Yeah. Well, he's he's starting to get food delivered to the station. People are, you know, in Arkansas, they're doing their home cooking. And they're sending him some meisty, meisty, tasty treats. Meisty, tasty. Meisty, tasty. Well, he's on the radio station doing a, doing his regular little um, disc jockey thing. And he starts talking about the sheriff and how um, this candidate has gone to the dogs. So everybody with a dog, bring your dog to the sheriff's office oh wait sorry ma no his story was about because he was always how he would focusy everybody up and win them over with charm was always saying now back in my hometown of riddle we had you know not everybody can be super smart there's just some dumb people and so in the town in order like the dumbest person in town in order to give them something to do we deputized them and made them the dog catcher. So that way, the dumbest part person in town has a job and something that they can do. It was our way of taking care of them. And so then he goes into this whole thing about how the sheriff is dumb. Because he and the sheriff got into blows at the bar. And, you know, sheriff don't in like jail. him. Yeah, and in the jail and stuff. So he's, he says the sheriff is so dumb that he should be the dog catcher. And he was like, a matter of fact, everybody has a dog. Won't you go bring your dog over and put in the sheriff's yard? Because he should just, he's so dumb, he should be the town dog catcher. And everyone does. And evidently in Arkansas, everybody's got a dog. Everybody's got a dog. So that was a funny. And then... Marsha asks him, how does it feel being able to say anything that comes into your head and sway people? And it was almost, it's weird because you know that, that he's gotten by his whole life doing this. But maybe it was the first time he saw that he was able to get a lot of people to do what he yeah. wanted. I'm going to read that again. And you think of our current person in the White House. How does it feel being able to say anything that comes into your head and you can sway people? 
because that's pretty much what got him in to the office. And he goes, yeah, I guess I can. Well, then somebody tells him he's got to come to Memphis and be on a TV show. Oh, uh, Marsha arranges that mm-hmm. for him to be on a variety show, sort of like the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, but, the, you know, they're in northeast Arkansas, so Memphis is the big city. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got to cross that river. Um, <clears throat> at which point he says uh, to her, because he keeps tw- trying to woo Marsha, and she just comes across as a cold fish to him. So, quotable, you cold fish, respectable girls inside, you crave the same as the rest of them. So, that's supposed to be, you know, like. Oh, you're so charming. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, he's on air and he doesn't go according to script. And there are, there, they have advertisers. And so. He's on the air at one point. Oh, this is before he goes to Memphis because he's talking about how hot it is outside and how all the cricks have dried up and all the, uh, all the ponds where you used to be able to go and get some refreshing water have dried up. So why don't you just go over to my boss's house? He's got a great big pool. All you children who want to be getting some water on, go over to my boss's house, Mr. Jeffrey's house. And they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there is a phone call negotiating his uh, Memphis contract. And they're saying they'd pay him $500 a week in Memphis. Now, in 1957, that's, that's a, lot a of money. sizable amount. Well, he says, you know what? I don't want a job. And I don't want to be tied down to a job, but let's try this. I'll come and do it, and we're going to see. I'm going to do it for free. Mm -hmm. Two weeks for free. Two weeks for free. If I like it and you like what I'm doing, then you pay me $1,000 a week. And he had a deal. $1,000 a week. I take that right now. I take that right now, too. Well, they're on the train. Oh, um, and he says he's going to bring Marsha with him. And she looks apprehensive. I think it's on the train that we start to see the first glimpses of his dark side. Well, yeah, because everybody goes to wish him well and wish him off. And he gets on the train and he turns around and he's like, man, I am glad to be done with those hillbilly redneck fools. And Marsha, because Marsha is of the people. I mean, she... Her uncle runs the town and everything, so she's, you know, the elite of the, the town. elite of the town. But but it's a small town. Yeah. So, I mean, even she's nervous about going to Memphis and she shoots him a look and he's like, oh, you know, I was just joking. But, you know, he wasn't joking. And he also says, teeny quotable, you know me better than to believe everything I say. Dun, dun. Okay, so, uh, uh, and then he's leaning out the train um, door, and you see him going from this big, cheesy, teethy smile to just no expression, Mm -hmm. except it's dark. Just like a light switch. 
Yeah. We meet Walter Matthau at the TV station. And it's the variety show called A Face in the Crowd. And um, so he's supposed to have his scripts approved, but he doesn't stick to a script. At one point, he brings a woman of... He brings a woman of color in because her house had just burned down. And he goes, everybody, if you just send in 50 cents, just a 50 cent piece, everybody does that. We can build this lady a new house. And they get a a massive turnout. Yeah, I was like, wow, I was not expecting this, Memphis. In fact, they were able to get uh, the next day... Eighteen thousand five hundred forty-one half dollars. I mean, that would build her whole house. Yeah, because that's nine thousand something, not nine thousand dollars, right there. Yeah, and back in fifty-seven. Okay, well, he has a sponsor, and he reads the commercial. It's for a mattress, and he can't be straight with it. Everybody's laughing. And he's going, what? Best sleep I ever get is sleeping on the floor. So yeah. I don't know why you need this fancy mattress. But... He, he was like, they say that a firm mattress is good for the spine. What's firmer than the floor? And of course, everybody loves this because finally it's somebody telling the truth. They're not actually trying to sell the the stuff. It's that a straight shooter need. telling it out how it is. That's right. And now he's signing autographs. And the mattress dude is not happy. No, because he's on there talking down about my product. I'm the mattress king. And this guy's telling people that it's better to sleep on the floor. That's not good for my business. How dare he? So at this point, Larry Lonesome Rhodes says to the mattress dude, I'd like to have your money, but I'd rather have my pride. And so in the mattress, dude, he's a businessman. So he's like, I paid you this money. So he's, he's you know what, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to yank my sponsorship. Good luck having your little show now that you don't have my mattress money. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is pretty much the end of him rather having his pride. So if you want to stop and watch it, go back and watch it. Join us back up here. Uh, He's in a really nice hotel hallway, and he's saying goodbye to Marsha. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Mr. Luffler was the mattress dude. Aaron's laughing because my notes don't always make sense. I just made him 12 hours, uh, 24 hours ago. Pickles? (laughs) Pickles? Uh, Mr. Luffler wants to fire me unless I show him my scripts ahead of time. This point, Marsha, 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 Marsha <laughs> kisses him and pulls him into her room. It's just Marsha is such an interesting character. I think that we have met Tony Francioso, who becomes because Tony Francioso self appoints himself as. Lonesome Rhodes's manager. Oh, yeah, because this guy knows exactly the cut of jib that Lonesome Rhodes is because he's a con man himself. So he knows that this guy's a con man and he knows that this guy's particular con man charm is fantastic. 
So he hitches his wagon to this guy. I'm like, this guy right here has got it. I'm going, right. I'm going far with this guy right here. And at one point, Marcia says to him, um, isn't that illegal? And he says, honey, nothing's illegal if they don't catch you. <laughs> uh, spoken like a true non-minority. Although he's like <laughs> Italian, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> there are uh, protests in the street because he's been fired from the mattress. Well, the mattress, they, they pulled the sponsorship. So right. then the, the people hear that the mattress pulled the sponsorship. So now they're starting, they're just rioting in the street. They're burning the mattresses. And then in the meanwhile, in the mattress boardroom, the guy's, you know, he's like, I had to do it. He's talking shit about my mattresses. And then the, the money number guy, Poindexter, is like, um, our sales are up 55%. So... It's working. Like, people are buying our mattresses. Even though this guy's making fun of it, they're still going and buying mattresses. It's fantastic. We got to keep this going, man. Yeah. Like, come on. Money. And what's the What's the answer to every question? Money. money. Well, our, our Tony Francioso guy's name is Joseph De Palma. Mm-hmm. Joey and so he calls New York because he's going, Memphis is too small for this dude and me hitching my wagon to him. <laughs> yeah, We're go, going to New York. I go big time. And he sells his show big time. At this point, Walter Matthau goes to Marsha's hotel room and sees Lonesome Suitcase outside the door. I don't think he really puts it together, though, does he? Oh, I don't really remember that scene. Okay. Um, because Joseph De Palma goes into where her room is supposed to be, but Lonesome is in there. I'm going to call him Lonesome Dove sometime in this podcast. <laughs> I just want you to know. I know it's wrong. It's going to happen. And Walter Matthau comes in. Well, she's hiding in the bathroom, so nobody knows that he spent time in her room. And this is when uh, Joe De Palma is telling Lonesome, hey, I sold your show big time. It's going to be 8 o'clock at night, coast to coast. And Marsha's hiding. Well, so his next advertiser is Vitajex. Oh, Vitajex. If you are an I Love Lucy aficionado, just replace Vitajex with Vita, Vita Vita Vegemin. Yeah. Except Vitajex is like Viagra. Vitajex is like, um, it. well, but it it's has. Not. It, yeah, go ahead. Five grams of inert matter. <laughs> Which is like nothing. Right. Three and a half grams of aspirin, two and a half grams of caffeine, and six grams of dextrose. Another name for what, Erin? Is that sugar? Sugar. Yeah. So it's basically just a sugar aspirin pill. So it's kind of like Philip's milk of magnesia that people used to, you know, it's just uh, this liquid elixir that's supposed to just make you feel great because you're on a caffeine sugar high. <laughs> So, um, and, and the people in the room are saying it's relatively harmless, but there is no truth in advertising going on here. Um, Mr. Rhodes comes in 
And he says, I'm here to sell your little kidney peels. And he looks at him and goes, they're white. That's boring. Mm-hmm. Make them yellow. The color is sunshine. Blada, blada, blada. Puts on his tap shoes. Um, well, the commercials for Vitajax are just a bad reheatable. <laughs> but in some ways, they're a good reheatable because they're so bad. Like sometimes the battery heatable, it's so bad that you're just, it comes back around to being a great reheatable. Uh, there are some animated ones of men chasing women and taking their Vita jacks and everything goes great. And then there's one where a dude say where a woman is saying, um, well, there's a Marilyn Monroe type woman mm-hmm. in bed. And she says, why don't you take your Vitajax like Lonesome Roads does? And she has a huge... It's three foot. It's like three foot tall bottle. The funniest thing is the top of the bottle, because it's from her. It's supposed to be a 10 week supply. On the top of this huge bottle, it says 100 tablets. There's 100 tablets in from where that that label ends to where the top of the pills are yeah, that's how big the bottle is it's just right hilariously big and then another woman says that's what vitajex does to me and i haven't even swallowed them yet well he says it that's what lonesome dove oh oh okay. i did it i was the one that said lonesome dove <laughs> And he starts singing the blues about Vitajex. Oh, he comes up with a whole Vitajex song and and on the spot. And what's his face is there in the background filling in. Oh, yeah. The Palma starts because he knows he's on the same wavelength as this crazy guy. And I think they're going to start adding endocaine to Vitajex, which I think is uh, stimulant. Uh, pretty much speed. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't have enough with the caffeine and the sugar. Now we're going to add some speed. We need some speed. Well, evidently a general, an ex-general, well, he's always a general, is the um, head guy at Vitajex. Oh, he's in charge of Vitajax? Or he like yes. owns it? He owns it. I got that he was like a one of the one of the Koch brothers type of figure. You know, the yeah. guy that's the the businessman magnet that has all the money and then he wants to uh, he's the one that's pulling the hands of politics because he's got the exactly. money. Exactly. And he's going, you know, I think this dude's a little bit of a risk. At this point, lonesome. Rhodes is at the general's estate and a senator has arrived. And this is the senator that has been tapped by the general because the senator, the general says, that's the kind of man that I want in the White House. Exactly. And Marcia says, isn't he the last of the isolationists? The general's like, ain't nothing wrong with that. You got it. And the, like, this is 1957 isolationist. Yes. And we've already gone through two world wars and we're in the midst of a cold war. And this is the guy that's like, we're just going to be isolationists. However, we had stockpiled supplies. We'd be in better shape than we are at this moment. Oh, uh, wait the- for my nerd alerts, Ma. <laughs> the general wants to take 
lonesome under his wing and make him into the new Will Rogers. Because Will Rogers had it's in influence. My, it's in my nerd alerts. Influence. Okay. I'm going to make you into an influencer. Um, and the general says, the masses need a strong hand guided by the elite. Mm-hmm. That's what the, the general believes. That's right. Well, now Life Magazine, Life Magazine back in the day cool. was it. It was huge. Yeah, he's on the cover of that. He's on the cover of Look Magazine. He's on the cover of the uh, uh, front page of the newspapers. He has a ship named after him. Mm-hmm. There's a mountain time. named after him. He's got his own mountain. And you know that there are indigenous people looking at that mountain going, that is not Lonesome Roads Mountain. No, it's not. And he's getting all kinds of accolades. He has a penthouse on the top, obviously a penthouse, on the top of this big old hotel. The first two floors are his. First, top two floors. Yeah. He calls Marcia and tells her he's going to kill himself if she doesn't come over. He's just so restless. She comes over and sees somebody else leaving, another female leaving. Mm-hmm. He says, yeah, I lied to you. It's true. But I needed to get you over here because, um, you know, I need to talk to you. I'm confused. And the general, and she goes, uh, does the general want to educate you or or use you? And he goes, we're getting in deep here, Marcia. I need you. Uh, You're my lifeline to the truth. Marry me. So a so female romantic. he has just had sex with leaves and he's proposing. Yeah, but that was that was that wasn't his heart. That was just maintenance walking out the door. To this other woman. It has it, been an hour. And so now we're getting down to people of color. Oh, okay. So we had Louis was the jail behind bars. We have Uncle J- JB's shoe shiner. We have the black woman and her two sons. Then there's a three woman family. Then there's an eight woman. There's an eight people family. Like these are like quick cuts when he's you know showing the his uh, ascension, his rise. Um, there's a black young restaurant waiter, a black porter. We have an Asian cowboy in one of the Vitamix commercials. Just I real quick. That. Yeah. Um, ge- the general's butler. Then we have like th- three black butlers at the end and the elevator operator. So I roughly counted 23 black people. Well, okay. All in. I'm like, I guess with the exception of like the, the black woman and the family and stuff, but it's always. You know, they don't have any lines. They're just there to... Obviously service jobs. Yeah, just service jobs. Um, But, I mean, the Asian black man... I mean, the Asian cowboy guy, it's it's problematic. But how many times have we said, like, oh, spotted an Asian in the film? Yeah. It's like the probably second time. And the other one was like, I think, Yojimbo. And that was an Asian film. Okay, nerd alerts. Okay, so for my nerd alerts, I've started doing this thing, and I hope that you like it because I like it, where I want to know what happened in the year that the film was released to sort of, uh, you know, paint the picture. 
So, but before that, Will Rogers is mentioned, I think, three times in this as mm-hmm. an example. And so I'm like, I've heard the name Will Rogers, but I always confuse him for Roy Rogers. Oh, then she gets on her whole roast beef roast sandwich beef kick. Cheese. <laughs> so Will Rogers was a Cherokee, he was a Cherokee citizen. I think he was born in like 1870-something, and he died in 1933 in a plane crash. He was a stage and film actor, a vaudeville performer, a cowboy, a humorist, a newspaper columnist, and a social commentator. And he had a huge influence because he was very... um. He he just had a, a plain talking way about himself and just a, a and a, a funny good hearted nature and he would also make fun of everybody, and people people like that. He was one of the few people that um, like everybody, everybody kind of liked him. And was like, oh, what, what's he say about this and stuff? He. He supported Republican candidates, but he also was a real big fan of Franklin D. Roosevelt. So he was just like a, a really interesting guy. Um, so this movie came out in 1957. And at the time that it came out, it got mixed reviews. But one of the people who did love it was fr- French first film critic turned French New Wave film director Francois Truffaut, he said in a quote in a review of the movie, quote, a great and beautiful work whose importance transcends the dimensions of a cinema review. So Truffaut knew what was up. Alright, so let's look at what also happened in 1957. From February 1957 to 19. 19- 58 where there was a pandemic there was another pandemic in 1957 it was the h2n2 virus and it killed 116,000 americans yeah i i was five i don't remember anything about this well i didn't do any a whole bunch of research into it but also in 1957, Dwight D. Eisenhower was in his second term of office. Mm-hmm. And Dwight D. Eisenhower, a.k.a. Ike, um, you know, was really big in World War II. And this, since this was 1957, not far removed from World War II. I'm just guessing. And again, I have no facts to back this up. It, this is pure just me thinking on the top of my toes here that um Ike and all his bros that like you know did World War II had strategic um know-how and levels of preparedness and the federal government and that's why nobody's ever like oh the pandemic of 1957 I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I could be completely wrong. I just feel like the, the, we probably had supplies, and um, we were in that in that in that mindset. You you were ready for the Cold War. Was, the Cold War was going. On. We were ready for Russia to uh, um, drop bombs send, at any moment, yeah. and we had a, a man in charge 
who had overseen a war. A war. <laughs> so you knew what you needed to survive a war, and it was supplies. So you need supplies. So it's probably why maybe we haven't really heard that much of the. But there was a pandemic. It was a worldwide pandemic. Um, the first frisbee was produced. Humphrey Bogart died. Oh my gosh, have you heard of the boy in the box murder? The boy in the box was found in Philadelphia. Go Google that, people. A boy who, who was about four or five years old was found dead in a box in Philadelphia. Oh, is it close to Funrama? I don't know, but it's still a cold case. And the woman oh who um, used the DNA to solve the Golden State yeah, killer. Yeah. Uh, she's on the case trying to see if she can identify the boy in the box. It's like a, that's it's a crazy story. Oh, yeah. Teeny. Teeny gonna be on that one. <clears throat> yeah, so any murderinos, you probably already know about it, and they probably already did it. I wonder um, if they've done that one. Let us know, murderinos, if they've done the boy in the box. We, we probably listened. We, we've listened to all of them, but you know me. Some 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 things go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, and they... they yeah, I live alone, so it's not like I can retain these horrible things. I'm 68, so I don't retain either. The Cat in the Hat was published in 1957. Oh, my God. Elvis bought Graceland. I'm oh. liking this segment. What are we calling this? It's my nerd alert because oh, okay. I'm being nerdy about what happened in 1957. Well, that's true. Okay. In 1957, a Philadelphia local television show joined the ABC network. And that would be Dance Party. American no, Bandstand. American Bandstand. Um, the Little Rock Nine were escorted to school by United States federal troops in yes. Arkansas. In Arkansas. Leave it to Beaver premiered. Oh, my God. Beaver. The Bridge Over the River Kwai was released. Oh, we did that one. That was a good one. We did good on that one. The Music Man premiered on Broadway. Piccadilly Ladies. I was one in high school. <laughs> and in 1950, 12% of homes had TVs. And in 1957, 80%. Yeah. And there are your okay. nerd because, alerts. Because 1957, color wasn't out yet. <clears throat> I know this because there was one color TV in our neighborhood and my mother's cousin. <laughs> oh, is that what it. you're calling that family? <laughs> no, I am calling them the one family that had the color TV. And Wait, it we was a color TV. The, the family's listening. Wait, no, I, uh, it, no, we're not. It's the TV. The TV is called color <laughs> and we went over there to watch um the inauguration of john f kennedy in color that's the first thing i ever saw in color well that would have been the 19... color was so off well it would have been 1960 it... then right okay that's that's what i was saying so 1957 when you're talking about tvs we had one that almost killed me but we didn't <laughs> have one that had color do you think that there are a lot of people in the, like, you know, in the early 60s and 50s who were like, uh-uh, 
Ain't no color TV being in my house. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Unfortunately, people's principles were not, you know, everybody wanted one. Although Grammy, because Grammy, uh, we have stated, was a bit of a snob. Um, <laughs> she kept saying how the color wasn't realistic, and that's why she didn't want a color TV. You know what? I'm with Grammy on that. Talk to me when you all figure this out. So actually, people, when you see um, Donald Trump, that's the color people were when um, color first came to television. Everybody had that orange tint that wasn't natural. That's like the weird Dateline. Have you noticed on Dateline that like almost all white people are very red? Like, their faces are just very red on Dateline. I haven't noticed that. I notice it all the time. I'm like, what what is there going to be some sort of correction to this? Why is everyone so red? Because you used to always hear, um, oh, I can't, I I had the phrase a minute ago, correct your color. It wasn't correct your color. Oh, well, that's why they had the color bars on the TV and stuff so that you could, um, do your own adjustments. I remember that, like, as a little, little kid, that TV that had the the color, like, you could correct the color. It was one of the knobs and stuff. You know, back when I was the remote control. <laughs> go go change it. Go put it on Channel 7, Aaron. Yeah. You see, kids Come now, my children. they don't even know. They, they don't even, they don't even know that you used to have to be here. As soon as you could crawl, you, all of a sudden you were the, you were the, the remote, remote control. Not that direction. Not you, that direction. You, it would always be as soon as you got comfortable with your pillows and blanket <laughs> all nice and you're all nice and comfortable, then you would have to get up and change the channel. Ugh. Why doesn't Adam ever have to change the channel? Because he doesn't know his numbers. Exactly. <laughs> but he was he was four years younger than me, so that's why. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't that he, that he had a, an issue. It was that, yeah. Okay, reheatables. Okay. Okay, well, I have the Vitajex ingredients. <laughs> yeah, because that's just in, that's in popcorn now. Well, right. And um, did you finish uh, Hunters? No, I'm going to finish it. Um, doing Living this Amish lifestyle I'm living, Saturdays by 3 p.m., I'm exhausted. I had to wash my bedding yesterday. Oh, oh man, my gosh. Yeah, wringing out those sheets. I oh, was that's gonna be good. You're going to have to show mom arms. I'm, I'm going to get shredded. They're going to be like, what happened to you? Oh, I was just living like an Amish person. <laughs> Cleaning okay, my well, bedding and towels, wringing them out. Have you gotten to the part about the corn syrup? Yes, I did. Okay, so I knew that you would feel totally vilified by that. Um, I didn't even I didn't even point it out because I knew anyone that saw it would be like, yeah, she called that. She called that a long time ago. Okay, all the advertisements for Vitajex. Um, he slept with a woman and she left and in within five minutes proposed to another. <laughs> then, okay, spoiler alert, he marries a 17-year-old 
Yeah, but it was Twirler? It was Lee Remick in his her debut performance. So yeah, somebody should have been like, yeah. Oh yeah, somebody did tell him, said, oh yeah, but she's seventeen. Yeah, and I he was that like, was his manager. Joe. Yeah, so he, and went, he was like, but she's seventeen. She's, but she's seventeen, <clears throat> and look at how she's looking at me. And she was a really good baton twirler. I thought what was going to happen in that scene was that she, because she kept making the googly eyes at him, that she was going to get up there and mess up, and then he was still going to give it to her. But no, it turns out she legitimately was the best baton twirler. She, nerd alert, she had to go to set like a couple weeks early to learn how to do that. And I'm just going to say a couple weeks, you have to be really coordinated Mm -hmm. because I had a baton once and I was friends with a majorette who wore the twirlers. I could do the one spin around. That was all, the one spin around. So that is a gift. You have to be coordinated and... Uh, as previously stated, I am not. It's very athletic. There was a bat. I forget which basketball player, but he's a really good basketball player in the seventies, and he was super into baton twirling. And people would kind of make fun of him, but he loved it. And he actually went to school. He didn't go to school for a basketball scholarship. He went on a baton twirling scholarship, and he just kept it up. And that was why he was able to do all of these crazy things because of the coordination that it took for the baton twirling. Fingers, yeah. And yeah. And just the, the coordination of that, like throwing it up and then yeah. catching it and twirling it under her legs. And then she was like yeah, doing a back bend yeah. and stuff. When did, when did majorette stop being part of halftime at football games? Well, I think like in the, I think in the historically black colleges, they're still like, a part of it okay because and it's probably maybe in the south still they're still doing that well, don't have a lot else to do okay uh and then i wrote down strip tease did the 17 year old do a strip yes on his show when they came back and he was married show. and it was like oh you married me because of this and he kept she kept like she took stripping. off yeah her wedding dress and that and then became and then she, because you can't have a lot of clothing on when you are twirling flaming batons. No, you don't want, and in the 50s, you know, there was a lot of uh, clothing material that would go up like that. Like a lot of flammable materials, I believe. Mm-hmm. Go, uh, Rayon. Yes. Polyester. The, what is that? Chiffon. Just a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things that were, and then you know. The Hairspray, hairspray. As Michael Jackson learned. Yeah. So she was just a walking fire trap. Okay. Those are my negatives that I haven't already s- talked about. Okay. Well, mine would be, um, Betty Lou being 17, um, the Vita Jacks, when he like basically attacked two women who were just working in the advertising agency, and everyone was just loving it, cause except the two women who were yeah, totally me too. They got me too. Okay, at the very beginning, Lonesome Rhodes, before he even is Lonesome Rhodes, when he's just Larry Rhodes, Larry drunk ass Rhodes, and he's in the jail for being drunk. He, the, they just let him keep his guitar and his case that had booze in it with him? Yeah. Okay. What color was he? 
why there you go yeah because we already said the black guy who was probably just arrested for being black is behind the bars yeah um while black and then okay so is this movie blaming marcia the woman for this for him and his because Walter Matthau's character it pretty much is like, well, you're the whole reason that he is who he is because you found him. And it's true. She did find him and she was looking for a way to advance her career and make something of herself. And so she was like, okay. And so then it's this guy, but then at a certain point, isn't she not responsible? Like, I just thought it was very interesting how this movie like pretty, and I don't, on the one hand, I liked it because we got to see a lot of Marsha and Patricia Neal, and so she felt like a character. But on the other hand, she didn't. She felt like a character that was written by guys because, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're kind of like blaming her. Mm-hmm. And she has like all this guilt because she knows what it is. And at one point, you know, she goes along with him even yeah. after she knows of his corruption and he marries another woman when she thought he was getting divorced to marry her and stuff. Yeah, the so, fact that she even said yes to him, that disgusted me. Yeah, like her whole how she felt about him. But then you're thinking, well, she is from Arkansas. But then I forgot. In like, 1957. Yeah, didn't. But I thought that she did go to college because Lonesome Roads had this habit of calling people... Um, who went to college by their college and year. So Walter Matthau's character was Vanderbilt 44. And he would always, he would call people like Stanford, whatever. And that was his kind of way to put them down. Because sometimes when people don't go to college, they have a chip on their shoulder of thinking... As somebody who did go, it's not a, like, there are still dumb people who went to college, and there are people who are way more brilliant who didn't go. It's, it's not a thing. Um, But he would do that, and I I couldn't remember if she went to college or not. I'm thinking she would have, because she she had a career. Yeah, like, She, she was trying to create a career for herself in broadcasting Mm -hmm. she was a producer and so she hitched Mm -hmm. her boat but it was just weird because this isn't the first time it's even in 1957 this isn't the first time that somebody's done this but you never see the the uh the male who created the monster being like oh you have to the guilt look what you've done Mm -hmm. i saw it was real rich i'm like wait a second are they blaming the woman here for this like she was just doing what every other guy would have done of course but it was a woman and so you got to take her down a bit yeah so that that was uh my negative reheatable oh that was very good okay my positive reheatables Mm -hmm. uh the fire baton act i mean the fact that she learned how to do that that was her that wasn't a stunt double and it's fire it's fire and you know, um, 1957, they were like, get your ass out there and do it. <laughs> yeah. All the cameos, there were a lot of cameos. Oh, yeah, I forgot to this. write down the cameos. A lot of them, the only cameo that I knew 
was on the like site and like that I could recognize from my life was Mike Wallace. Yes. That was the only the other the guy that was Walter Winchell, I just pieced that together from context yeah. clues. I'm like, oh I guess that's Walter Winchell. Yeah. So were, Walter Winchell was, was a, a newspaper, famous newspaper columnist. Right. Okay. Um she wanted to be equal partners with him. Yeah. Um, because she had found, I mean, she found him. He was a diamond in the rough. Yeah, because when he comes back after breaking her heart, marrying the 17-year-old, mm-hmm. she, he says, well, I'll just give you, oh, sorry. I'll just give you um, money. I'll give you like $3,000. And I'll pay you $3,000. So he was basically trying to divorce her without divorcing her. Right. And she was like, uh-uh, I created you. I want half. Right, right. <clears throat> okay, and um, the positive reheatable that's really a negative reheatable is that this just shows how Trump got into the people of the uh, the people of the of the what is it you call it? people of the, the common earth? people, the salt of the earth, salt of the earth people. How he ingratiated himself into the even though. Turning around, and even though they heard him, then saying, "Oh, those foolish people," you know, they, or that didn't matter. Whereas in this case, in this movie, it did matter when well, they heard him. Not really, because at the end, Walter Matthau's character does say that he, like, he's going to be fine because people are going to forget, and then he's, you know, everybody loves a good redemption story, so then he'll get another shot at it, but it won't be as big as it was. You know what that reminded me of? What? Uh, James Baker. Yeah. Is that the guy? The preacher yeah. guy? Yeah. And how he was, like, huge, and then, like, Tammy Faye Baker and all that, and then they got outed as, you know, being crooks and criminals, and now... They're back! He's, yeah, he's back. Well... Tammy Faye isn't. She's, you know. Oh, but, she's uh, dead. Yeah. Did she die? Did she sure. die from cancer? Yeah. Cancer of the mascara? Oh, ma. <laughs> <laughs> that was a touch of funny. It was, but I'm in these in these uncertain times. I'm just I'm trying to be as good as i can but that was funny like <laughs> that was funny okay we are too no um, um i still have to do my good reheatables oh sorry okay so i love at the beginning when he he how he really endeared himself to the public notice was when he was talking about and mind you this was well, uh, no, well, I guess because the whole thing, I've, I've just been on this tip for a while, but how he was talking about the, the women at home and how the husband's always nagging them and goes off yeah. to work and then all the work that they have to do, of all the cleaning. And, clean, and the one woman was how he was saying, like, she's on her knees scrubbing the, the grease from the oven and she yeah. turns around to the radio and goes, how do you know that? Exactly. I was like, oh, that was great. Because it was just doing all the things where, like, oh, they they think that 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 just happens. A lot of people are finding that out right now. 
gotta yeah. say a lot of people yeah. fight finding that out that uh you know do washing mopping floors like keeping the household Coming together up with a meal every night just out of nowhere just yeah, yeah meal prepping yeah you know these clothes don't wash themselves That's and especially right. if you don't have a washing machine or a dryer or a dishwasher but you have strong german muscles but, but you're just developing <laughs> forearms of steel um his fi- like I already mentioned Mel's final speech about you know the guy will be back. Yeah. Um, this re- also the the whole thing at the beginning her show reminded me of NPR StoryCorps and I, I can't listen to StoryCorps because literally every time I hear it I end up crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just no matter what they put it on like StoryCorps and This American Life are just. No matter what, the, I'm like, oh, this is a lighthearted subject. It, it should be fine. <laughs> no, it always ends in a puddle of tears for me. Um, and so then, okay, and then the, another good reheatable was the outsized role of television as influencers and oh, media. Yeah. And I can't. I found an article called "A Face in the Crowd: Colon American Character." by april wolf on criterion.com and i just i'm gonna read it because she just nailed it i was like i'm why even paraphrase this there you go so some of the points so one quote um about because this is about how she's talking about how he's a con man and that people were saying oh that this movie was warning about it, but April Wolf is like, Oh no, no, slow your roll. This isn't like a warning. Like this is, this is a very American and it's always been American issue. Quote, our self mythologizing about quote, bootstraps leads itself to an appreciation for the sheer effort in the art of hucksterism, perhaps because our natural history is itself a long con in which unattainable hopes of ascent or escape are peddled to us for a small monthly fee. Mm-hmm. So she is basically saying, you know, the reason that Americans are so susceptible to this kind of charm and folksyism and con men, and that we've always been susceptible to con men, is because we all like to buy into the myth of this is America. You can become anything you want to be. All you have to do is work hard enough. And that that's a myth that it, 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 on one hand it is true, but on the other hand, there's other things at play. And so the Americans though, while on one hand having that self mythologizing sort of thing, on the other hand though, the Americans like hucksters and con men because they like to see the blood, sweat and tears and like, Oh, you know what though? Look how hard they had to work for this. Yeah. The you know, the hard work. And and the whole fact that you know, I like when it says our American history itself is a long con, which is true. It's built this country is built built on the backs of oppressed people. Right. And then it's made to be like, I came here and I'm a self made man because I didn't have to pay my workforce or I got yeah. to steal the right. land and the minerals that were here that actually belonged to the people that were here. But ha ha you know? Yeah. Yep. So, and then another reheat. Oh, I guess that's, oh, that's my tasty nugget, I think. 
Okay. Oh no, it is. The like okay, so then another good reheatable is Ilya Kazan, how he was using deep focus. And so in the, from the same article, it says Kazan using deep focus so that the background actors' expressions are visible and vivid throughout. A repeat viewer of a face in the crowd becomes a participant. It's possible to make a different choice about what to see in each frame. Mm. So because he had, especially in those crowd scenes that were shot on location, you can just mm-hmm. look at different people. And there were different things that I saw, um, even as I was just watched, because I just watched this one time. But there are different things that uh, I saw and I was like, oh, that that's cool. Hmm. MVP. Okay. So I have a runner up. Mm-hmm. And then I have my okay, it's again my notes don't make sense. I did them twenty-four hours ago. I don't know how <laughs> and and as I'm taking them, I say to myself, you'll remember what this means. Yeah, you'll you'll get this, no problem. Okay, so my runner-up is for when Andy Griffith did his monologue when he was really going Natsola. At the end? Yeah. Illy Kazan got him drunk because Andy Griffith was too nice to actually go that deep, but he got him drunk so he could go that deep. (laughs) Nice. I wonder what he got drunk on. And my actual MVP is Patricia Neal leaving the mic open and then telling him, go ahead and jump. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead and jump. Okay, my runner-up MVP, getting back to to the point that that April Wolf said about uh, the deep focus and how you can see what's going on in the background, when they're pulling out of the train station... There's a little boy that's running down with the train, and this guy just grabs the boy and pulls him. Because cause the little boy was just running with the train, and I was watching, and I'm like, oh, little boy is, I don't, I don't know if that, you think that's a good idea that this little boy is like just running next to the train and stuff. And sure enough, like 1957 suited man just grabs the little boy, pulls him into the crowd. So he's my. Because we know who would have been that little boy running with that train. And we and the arm move was so familiar <laughs> that I was like, "Well, that's not my dad because there's no people of color in this shot." But I I recognize that that is a man who is a dad because that was a dad <laughs> move right there. Let me save you now. And then my actual MVP is Patricia Neal for yeah. all that you said, and also because. I I liked that okay, how do I phrase this? Like she is very attractive, but she's not drop dead attractive right. where it's not like this is Grace Kelly in High Noon where I'm like Grace Kelly, what <laughs> you could do did, have you ever looked in a mirror? What's going <laughs> on here? Why are you doing this? You really this? could do better. Like Patricia Neal she really played and I really believed in that she was from well-to-do Arkansas, mm-hmm. but still had that sort of rough, like, you know, I am from Arkansas. It wasn't, right. 
I don't know. It's it's just that weird thing of of I guess we were kind of talking about it last week too with people in how if they were going through life being super attractive versus mm-hmm. going through life and then getting a level of attractiveness like how it's like their your life and stuff differs from if you're really good looking as a little kid and just how you're treated to just being like so so an average and like a late bloomer and then that kind of thing so i just appreciated that i just i just always believed that she was who she was there was Mm -hmm. never a moment where and it also had to do with just like their strength and and there were some things where even when her character was doing something i was kind of like that's just a bunch of guys writing this at this moment because Mm -hmm. but it never had to do with her not playing it like there was always just something that was just like I was just always like what's going on with her I just there was just a a very believableness to her that I found refreshing and what's what is she thinking yeah what is she thinking like how smart is she is she smarter or is she like in over her head but she's pretending that she's got everything under control and because I remember her in HUD and I remember thinking, I don't buy it. Did we do HUD? I don't think we did. We might not have done HUD. That might be one that uh, we'll have to look that up. I thought we did HUD. And um, but I didn't buy her and Paul Newman. But I really I need to go back and watch it now. So well, we might be doing HUD in the near future. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, September. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Wait, what about, do you have a least valuable player? Um. Well, that's really a most valuable player, but it's a least valuable player because it's how power corrupts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um... My least valuable player. Well, I had Mel down because he was always smitten with Marsha. Yeah. yeah. And but he never went for it. He never went for her. And he was a writer on like this show. But then I guess that maybe my least maybe it would be the American public of just loving to be continuously time after time just duped by these things of just yeah you know falling for the packaging instead of falling for what's in the packaging yes and it's it really is just but then when you think of america and how america was built it's not really all that surprising because it's 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 a we're all descendants i mean the people who came here of free will are all descendants of people who wanted to get away and have freedom above all right, else. Right. So that is something that just gets We're trying to better out. themselves. Trying to better themselves, wanting freedom, didn't want a king telling me what I can and can't do. I want any, you know, telling me what I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. And then somebody who comes around with just a folksy charm and Mm-hmm. And and like being suckered, and even in this movie, the the woman around the table was there. Are a whole bunch of people who are like, "Man, 
there was a woman around the table and then there was the newspaper guy and they both were like, man, I knew that there was something off about that guy. And the newspaper guy was like, I knew there was something off about that guy, but I got to say, he's got it. And Mm -hmm. it's that thing where it's like, yeah. Okay. Quotables. I did many. I did none. Uh, My old lady was mighty generous, taken in relatives. I thought that was funny. Real music comes from the bottom up. A guitar beats a woman every time. Um, But, wait. Uh, One was, she's 17. (laughs) I'm going to start shooting people instead of ducks. That's how a lot of us feel right now. And then when Walter Matthau is at the bar, he goes to the bartender. Yeah. Just let the vermouth blow a kiss at the gym. I know. I got some vermouth. Uh, And Marcia says. Wait, I have a question. Does that mean that he just wants a little bit of vermouth? He hardly even wants. He, wants he just it, wants the idea of vermouth. Of the idea of vermouth. And then the in rest is just gin. Just yeah. gin. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, math out, my guy. Yeah. Just blow a kiss at the at the gin. Um, and at one point, Marcia tells Larry, "You are becoming the thing you used to harpoon." Yeah. And the Lonesome Roads Express is going down <laughs> when they got in the elevator. Those are my, those are my quotables, quotables, lost my train of thought. Did you have any more quotables? I, well, just the one that I wrote down for the the thing, which was good night, you miserable slobs. That's the (laughs) the quote that's going on there. So we are to recasting. I did one cast. I did two casts, but I, I'm going to take this opportunity in recasting because I I said how fantastic, you know, Patricia Neal was as cast. But Andy Griffith. Yes. I was very skeptical upon seeing yes. that Andy Griffith yeah. was going to be in this movie. But. OK, he he's not ugly, but he's not because I was like, oh, you know, Paul Newman. But I think Paul Newman is too drop dead oh, gorgeous too, right yeah i mean everybody would have fallen in love with him before he opened his mouth but there was something like andy Griffith had this he had this this way and this smile about him where he wasn't when you looked at him drop dead gorgeous but he could he uh, could clean up he okay. could he could clean up okay and he could tell you a tale and he will win you over yeah much what i imagine Michelle Obama would see in George W. Bush of how like if you take away if you take away his politics and his policies and stuff and it's just you and him talking I could see him being very charming and that you would be like oh I I actually like this guy yeah you know like you take away all that extra stuff and just that like just charm okay so I was very much like hats off Ilya Kazan. Look at who this guy has cast who are unknowns and what they've gone on to be. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I just wanted to to give Andy Griffith his 
praises because it was very hard for me to come up with people to play him. Like okay. harder than you would think. I just did Larry, Marsha, and Joe De Palma. Oh, I did Larry, Marsha, and Mel. Okay. So my Joe De Palma is Anthony Mackie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's he kind of has that that's his corner of being the guy. Yeah. Like the fixer. The, uh-huh. Yes. Okay, my Marsha, <clears throat> I changed. I was never, like, there wasn't a Marsha that stuck out to me until Because there watched. was to me. I okay. knew my Marsha, like, like both of them, because I had two casts. Okay, excellent. I didn't really think of mine until I was watching the documentary on the making of Hamilton. Oh, is it good? It's mostly critics talking about it. Oh. Yeah, so no, it's not what I wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. which is to see the play (laughs) on film. Yeah. So, um, but it was also talking about how how some of these really talented artists are, are having a shot in this show where you didn't hear about them before. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring some Broadway to someone who had been in the original Hamilton and used to be in One Life to Live. Renee Elise Goldsbury, she was the original Angelica. Well, and you know, I always knew her first before Hamilton from The Good Wife because she was in The Good Wife as one of the attorneys. And she stands out no matter what she does. She's gorgeous. And there was something that she was in most recently because I saw her in it. I was just watching it and I was like, oh, oh, she's in the 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 makers of the good wife and the good fight. They have another show on CBS called Evil and she was in that as well. Oh, I'm going to have to watch that. It's I think you've told me about I it. have because I was late to it. It's not the the um uh what is it called? It's not the genre that I typically I'm into, oh, okay. yeah. but because I really like those, the showrunners and the people behind it. And I think that they're very clever in what they do. I have, I watched all that has been released and I'm like, I, I, okay. reco- I recommend it. Like if you like, if you're a fan of the good wife or the good fight, um, this is more having to do, like if you like those and you also like the exorcist, this is your show. Oh, okay, but she's in it. Yes, but she's not a reoccurring cast member. Oh, okay. Like she, okay. She does show up in it. Okay. Well, she is amazing. And so my Larry, which I changed, mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, he Cuz he's he, got that he's got that personality that Yeah. That's good. And he can go dark. Well, I mean, you say dark, I say he's telling the truth, but <laughs> All right, my cast. So, my first cast for Mel I was struggling with. I need somebody who's nerdy. Interestingly enough, a nice segue. Oh my gosh. He was also in the original Hamilton 
as a male, Jonathan Groff. Okay, yeah. You know, like the, the yeah. nerdy, witty writer. Yeah. Then as my Marsha, because I'm I'm a big fan of Better Call Saul, and I'm like, Rhea Seahorn, from, who plays Kim Wexler on Better Call Saul, would be a perfect Marsha. Gotta look her up. Ma, you, you don't, you're not watching Better Call Saul? No. Did you watch Breaking Bad? I loved Breaking Bad. This, this tells how Saul became Saul Goodman. How he went from Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman. And it Mike's in it. Gus I Fring's like in it. The, the guy who looks like Pookie Man's in it. Okay. She's looking him up, her up. I, I am. She would be fantastic because she's a fantastic actress. The same kind of Patricia Neal vibes where just complete believability. Oh, we'll play the hell out of this role. So that brings me okay. to my my Larry. Now, you're watching Briar Patch and you've yes. seen Mad Men, correct? Yes. My Larry is J.R. Ferguson. The bearded guy from Briar Patch and okay. Mad Men. Yeah, I like him. I like I, he would be like fantastic. Yeah. Cuz he's got that charm. Oh, green light this. So then my other cast for Mel, I have the comedian Hassan Minaj. Oh, I love Hassan. Mm -hmm. I thought he'd be a good Mel. My Marsha, Gabriel, Gabriel Union. I thought of Gabriel. Right? Yeah. So then I'm like, well, who's my Larry? Who's going to charm the pants off of me? I went with John David Washington. Yeah, okay. Okay. He, he can do anything. I that that he's got he's just got just great charm. Yeah, he does. So there's my recasting. Well done. Well done. Now we are to Tasty Nuggets. I have that this was uh, Patricia Neal's return to acting after four years off when she and Gary Cooper were having an affair. And then that broke off and she had a nervous break. That caused her to have a nervous breakdown. Her kid getting hit in this stroller. Well, that was her later in the 60s. Oh, okay. So before this, before this movie... She had the affair with Gary Cooper, who was married, and he, you know he was Gary Cooper. So I, we we talked about it. I believe we, did we tapped on to... it when we did High Noon. Yeah, we did. So because we can never remember the things that come out of our mouths. Um, so yeah, we it was in there. So then she had a nervous breakdown, and then she went back to stage because those were her first success was it was staged mm -hmm. so then she just went back to the stage and she was just doing broadway and stuff and then then she got into the actor studio and you know that oh. was Ilya kazan's thing so she was on the stage doing that and then Ilya kazan was like hey i'm doing this movie you want to do it and i think she had been in a better place because in 1953 this was 57 she met 
uh, the author, Ronald Dahl. So she was married. Oh, okay. And was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then when you watch this movie, knowing three years, like, shit gets turned upside down. Yeah. But she, like, came through. And then I think it's... It's some university, someplace in Knoxville, because that was her hometown. At like they've their um their place that's renowned for strokes and spinal cord rehabilitation. It's the Patricia Neal blah 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 place. Oh, okay. Because after, because she was very like the the training and the grueling physical therapy that she underwent, that did leaps and bounds of how that they now treat those kinds right, of I'm things. Sure. So and she always went back to talk with and to to um like she would always go back there and anybody who was, you know, recovering from a stroke or spinal cord, she was all about just trying to be uplifting and positive and was like, "Hey, look at me. I did it." And then I got nominated for an Oscar. So mm-hmm. okay. she she put herself back together. Several times, evidently. Several times. Marlon Brando turned down the role of Larry. Oh, that would have been just too much of a thirst trap. Like I think so too. Like you would have been. Who cares what he's saying? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I read this was too expensive to film in Hollywood, so they filmed on location. Location was cheaper than Hollywood. I think that that's, that sounds to me like that that's the story that Ilya Kazan told to Hollywood to okay. get what he wanted. Okay. Because remember how I said he was known for his cinematic realism and the method and all of that. Mm-hmm. So you know that he wanted to get yeah. to Arkansas to film. Because in the fairground scene... He paid everybody a dollar an hour for that fairground seat, all those extras. And fed them, and it was 5,000 5, extras. In the baton twirling, 60 baton twirlers from Northeast Arkansas and Southeast Missouri, six different high school bands, and in the dog scene, 380 dogs. Wow. Um, and there was talk of a remake a while back with Whoopi in the title role. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see it, but the it would have been interesting how how they would make it because Whoopi Goldberg is a black woman and <laughs> people tend not to that <laughs> doesn't tend to be the the voice that people listen to. Although Maybe sometimes probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it never got off the ground. And sadly, are we who raise your hand if you're surprised by that? No, no hands are in the air. Um, Huey Long, Will Rogers, but especially this guy named Arthur Godfrey. Yeah. The inspirations. And he was a. I didn't know anything about Arthur Godfrey, but he was a radio and TV host and was known for being a fantastic pitchman. One time, Arthur Godfrey flew his plane into Lexington Bluegrass Airport 
and they needed it moved because he had parked it in the That's wrong place. That's the guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll finish the story. So Grandpa Chico goes, I know how to deal with that plane. So he gets in and he moves it. And Arthur Godfrey comes through. Who had the nerve to move my plane? And Grandpa Chico said, it was me. It was parked in the wrong place. Wow. I didn't, mm -hmm. I remember hearing, I didn't put it together. Because I remember hearing mm -hmm. that story. I'm, I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. Mm -hmm. And then it's this. Oh. <laughs> um. So Schulberg and Kazan, I remember from Pinky, they both named names in the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Because remember, mm. remember, because there was that whole thing. I, I went through it with Pinky when yeah, yeah. Kazan got his Oscar in the 90s. And there were a mm. lot of people who like turned their back on him. And there were some a lot of people who clapped who were like, like, yeah, he named names, but you know look at the art and stuff that he did so that was before this movie because it said that on the waterfront was a reaction to him naming names and sort of like why he named the names and like kind of his point of view hmm. and then they say that this is kind of more of a reaction to that and so if you kind of look at it you can kind of uh because we gotta we have to do on the waterfront at some point oh to, yeah to like really piece it together but that this was taking a look at tv and how you know the influence of it and so it was very much a lot of people pointed to mccarthy being on mm -hmm. tv and how much power he had and how kazan and schulberg were like hey y'all want to like be hating on us because we named names but look at what's really going on and the damage that is really being done which mm -hmm. it's it's one of those i'm happy because uh classic law and order is back on sundance channel and i just love it because it just takes into the law part gets into all the the weird like oh but i think this and then i think that oh i eh. And that's what the House of Un-American Activities Committee is, is of the, the like with the whole naming of the names. And you want to be on one side, but you're just when you get into it, you're just like, oh, well, he was, this is the way that he was looking at it from his point of view. And you're just mm -hmm. like, it's one of those things, man. It's like life. Both things can be true at the same time. Damn. <gasps> and oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was, those were my tasty nuggets. So that was this week's A Face in the Crowd. We yeah. added yet another category. <clears throat> and I might have to go to uh, 45 minutes of notes and then <laughs> and then move on. Why? Just, just to save some time. Oh. Well, I guess so. People, I mean, are people complaining? People got nothing else to do. Like, are you complaining of the content they were giving you? Yeah, it was good content. So next week, although <laughs> Teeny wasn't with us, it was her turn to pick, and she did make her pick. The Hills Are Alive! Our Teeny and her musicals, we will be doing The Sound of Music. Poppy just said, oh, my God. 
Oh, is he going to be on it? Is he going to be joining? I seriously doubt it. <clears throat> but we well, are going to You'll have to, to be... get his story of the sound of music when he went to see it. Did he? Oh, the movie? Yeah. He went to see the movie, not the play, right? Yeah. Okay. From music class, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, <laughs> but we are thrilled that we'll be doing it with Teeny next week. The Sound of Music. I guess that completes this week. A face in the crowd, guys. It's worth a look. It See is. It. It's good. You know what, though? I wonder how much I would have really liked it in 2015. Yeah. I'll be like, man, this movie is fantastic. And then in 2016, it's just so sad. This is the saddest thing I've ever seen in just, my life. Just sitting, just sad and angry. This is how it happens. And then also, the, whole stuff, watch... the whole stuff with the pandemic, that there was a pandemic in 57, but we had, but, you know, General Dwight D. Eisenhower was in charge, so. Yeah, so <laughs> people had masks, damn so it. So who even knows if anybody even knew that it was a pandemic? I didn't. Okay, well, there you go. But that means that, that Grammy survived two pandemics. She was a tough old bro. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. I've got, <laughs> like, I, I got that in, I got that going for me. There you do indeed. <laughs> you do indeed. As did your grandmommy. Yeah. I, I got it on both sides. So yep. hopefully. Okay. Bye. Bye.